So really, when we think about, okay, well, in terms of alternative solutions for cat and dog food, um, if we don't have really plant-based as, a, as an option, um, then we are left with meat. And, and how do we actually arrive at a meat-based option that is both humane and environmentally sustainable? And really, we're, there's only one solution, and that's cultured meat. Hi, I'm Tori Mystic, and you're listening to the Wear Wag Repeat Podcast the only show dedicated to supporting women in all areas of the pet industry. In today's episode, we are taking a deep dive into the future of pet nutrition with Dr. Shannon Falconer, CEO and founder of BioCraft Pet Nutrition. Shannon, a biochemist and animal rescue volunteer, is leading a revolution in the pet food industry with cultured meat a sustainable, cruelty-free alternative that offers optimal nutritional benefits. We chat about everything from the environmental paw print of the pet food industry to the concept of cultured meat. Unlike vegan meat for people, BioCraft has the advantage of not needing to make their meat resemble a chicken breast or a burger because it will end up being used in pet food. I learned so much hearing about the formulation of BioCraft's cultured meat and how it is fine-tuned for bioavailability of nutrients, and in some ways, it actually makes it healthier than conventionally farmed meat. We also uncover the ecological impact of the pet food supply chain and explore how cultured meat compares to traditional meat products in terms of cost and sustainability. This conversation is as eye-opening as it is insightful. Please share this episode with your friends and get the cruelty-free cultured meat conversation started. Dr. Shannon Falconer is the CEO and founder of BioCraft Pet Nutrition, a biotech startup creating nutritious, sustainable, cultured meat pet food. Shannon holds a master's degree in biochemistry, a PhD in chemical biology, and worked as a postdoctoral research fellow at Stanford University prior to founding BioCraft. Shannon has spent decades volunteering in the animal rescue community and is also a fur mom to her amazing rescue dogs, Nori and brand new dog, River. Hi, Shannon. Hi. Hi. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated. I mean, this is such an interesting topic. It's not every day that I'm talking about uh, cultured meat. And we don't mean that it's meat that like goes to the symphony and art museums. <laughs> That's not that kind of cultured. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. We're making, yes, specifically cultured meat for, for pet food. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, so we were chatting a little bit before we hit record, um, just about, I guess, like the, the path that you've taken to get where you are now. Um, would you mind you know, elaborating on that a little bit and, and kind of walking our listeners through how you got into this which seems like a very specific niche. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it started a long, long time ago. I, I grew up with three dogs and three cats. So um, I, I formed a relationship with animals uh, at a very young age and, um, and then stopped eating meat in my early teens for animal welfare reasons and then started volunteering with animal rescues in my late teens. And then I've continued to do that through my entire life. 
Um, but I'm also, uh, I'm a scientist by training. So I was, um, yeah, I, my master's and my PhD in, in chemical biology. And then while I was working as a postdoc at Stanford, that's when I really decided that, um, that I wanted to apply my scientific training to taking animals out of the supply chain. And um, I mean, there in no supply chain um, are there more animals than, of course, in the in the food uh, supply chain. And of course, at first, I thought I would venture down the road of replacing products that are otherwise meant for for human consumption, um, because humans are the main consumers of animal based products. But as I started to think about it more, and and um, and I really not only just think about it, but also understand more just what the contribution of pet food is to sustaining the animal agriculture industry at large. That's when I really made the determination that it was, um, you know, I, I could move the needle more if I focused on pet food. Um, also, because as somebody who hasn't hasn't eaten meat for for many decades, I'm perfectly happy with with what my my options are, but uh, I'm nonetheless really hamstrung when it comes to finding alternatives um, for my for my pets. Uh, and there's virtually it's virtually white space in terms of, you know, what types of nutritious foods can you find for your dogs and especially your cats that don't also involve harming an animal. And so this was where this was when I decided that I would move into the pet food arena. Um, but unlike humans who are omnivores, right? And so there are these plant-based options that are available. Dogs and cats are a little bit different metabolically. Um, dogs actually are very, very similar to humans metabolically, uh, much more than they are to cats. But the reality is, uh, is still that the majority of people don't feel comfortable feeding their dogs a vegetarian diet. And so meat does prevail. Um, and then for cats, it's a, it's especially, um, that is even more the case. So really when we think about, okay, well, in terms of alternative solutions for cat and dog food, um, if we don't have really plant-based as a, as an option, um, then we are left with meat and, and how do we actually arrive at a meat-based option that is both humane and environmentally sustainable. And really where there's only one solution and that's cultured meat. So fascinating. Okay. So I, ha I have a lot of questions and I, and I told you that I would have some stupid questions. <laughs> um, sure so, stupid. <laughs> so bear with me, but okay. With the cultured meat, um, is it like, tastes like chicken, tastes like beef? Like, are you trying to replicate existing animal meat product tastes and feels, et cetera, or is it a whole new thing? No, it's, this is a great question. Um, Unlike the human food industry or cultured meat that is intended for humans to consume, we don't have to make a chicken breast that looks like a chicken breast, right? And has that three-dimensionality uh, because if you, you know, pet food is by and large, the majority of pet food that people purchase, it comes in the form of either a kibble or a wet food. So it's already in this sort of uh, indistinguishable form. Um, I mean, it doesn't look any anything like it would have looked when it was initially coming from an animal. So for us, we don't need to, we don't need to concern ourselves with actually recreating that three-dimensionality. Um, uh, however, in terms of the taste, certainly, you know, this is a very, very um, important focus of ours because, uh, because taste is what drives pleasure in, when it comes to eating um, for both ourselves and for our pets. So taste is, is very important. Um, 
And most of the taste comes from, it's not actually protein that, um, that delivers a, a delicious taste. For the most part, it's fat, it's animal fat. So for us, it's very important as we're developing in our in the development of our cultured meat um, to ensure that there are the, the irrelevant, the, the relevant, not irrelevant, but the relevant animal fats that are being produced by our cells, our animal cells that are um, that are delicious for our cats and dogs and that are also um, nutritionally required. Um, so cats and dogs have a much higher uh, requirement for specific fats than humans do. And so this is a this is a actually fat is a really important criteria that we're that we're assessing and monitoring as we go. So you you kind of have the opportunity to engineer a a meat a protein, I guess um, we should say, because it's not really meat, right? Well, so interestingly, how do you refer to this? <laughs> yeah, actually, I do think I do refer to it more as meat than protein. Okay. So I think so. Meat is. Meat is a combination of many nutrients, right? It is not just protein. And certainly in the pet food arena in particular, we think about protein all the time as being the core essential nutrient that our pets need. But interestingly, it's not actually protein that makes a cat a carnivore um, or a dog a, a carnivore or an omnivore. Um, it's not the protein. It is these other nutrients that animals and only animals produce that make a cat a carnivore. So for example, taurine, which is an amino acid, but it's not an amino acid that's incorporated into a string of amino acids that make a protein. So it's just a single amino acid. Um, taurine is one, um, arachidonic acid. So one of these fatty acids, uh, vitamin D, vitamin A, unlike you and me, we can eat a carrot. And our body takes the beta carotene that is in that carrot, and we have the enzymatic machinery to then convert that beta carotene into vitamin A, which our body then uses. Cats don't have that enzyme, so they are unable to convert carotene to vitamin A. So the only way they can actually, uh, the only way that they can actually, uh, vitamin A, they need to get it from their diet and they need to get it from that preformed vitamin A is only manufactured by animal cells. So uh, interestingly, yes, it's it's not the protein. So we do think of this, the product that we're making as meat, um, not not just protein. Protein is, is in there, but that's not the thing that we're most concerned about um, because we can really get protein from a lot of different sources. And when we think about the amino acid profiles of plants, for example, yes, not all plants are what are referred to as complete proteins, meaning they don't have all of the amino acids that we need or our cats and dogs need. But if you combine different species of plants, then you can get a full, um, uh, a complete protein. So uh, protein is not the problem. It's these other nutrients. And that's what we're really, really focused on. Um, so we're focusing on meat, which is a combination of nutrients, not just protein. Fascinating. Thank you so much for that explanation. I have never heard of any of that, but it makes total sense. And, and kind of where I was headed before that wonderful explanation was just that you have the opportunity to engineer a meat that has like the ideal levels and combinations um, for bioavailability for our dog's digestion or our cat's digestion and all of that kind of stuff. So it's in a way better than regular meat. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that you brought this up because um, that is a really, really cool um, point about cultured meat that it, it is, uh, it is, it is tunable. You can say engineer, but actually we're not doing any genetic manipulation at all. So there's no, there's no um, engineering or um, genetic modification. It, it's only, we say tunable because what we can, what we simply do is just adjust the environmental conditions um, that we would grow those cells under to say, for example, um, produce more of a given nutrient that might be, um, that might be required or of interest. Um, so we can actually, ultimately, we can think about, you know, this is down the road, but we can actually even think about customizing or personalizing foods that are appropriate for different types of species or, uh, sorry, not species, but uh, breeds of dogs or cats um, or have specific um, specific health conditions. So it, there's this nice aspect of it, of this being something that we can control far more than, um, than for example, the, uh, the meat that comes from an animal that's been slaughtered. Um, it, it's very difficult to, to be able to, as we say, sort of create that tunable nutritional profile the way we can with cultured meat. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, okay. So we know that it offers, um, great nutritional value. And like you said, um, the ability to maybe tune it to suit specific, um, health needs and, and that's really awesome, but there's this whole other side of the coin, which is like the environmental impact. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know I've done blog posts about the environmental impact of just, meat in the pet industry and how huge it is. Um, so why is synthetic meat or cultured meat? Um, why is that better for the environment? So recent, more recently, this there's more and more information that's coming to light in terms of what the contribution of pet food is to the environment. And I think it, it is it should be of no surprise to anybody at this point that animal agriculture is one of the main drivers of climate change. Um, and animal agriculture is also what supports uh, pet pet food industry by and larger. Or we can also say, though, that the pet food industry supports the animal agriculture industry because it is a huge customer. Um, it's definitely been argued by, by many f- people, including the industry itself that actually no pet food is a sustainable practice because pet food is made from both largely it's made from the 50% of the animal that humans don't want to eat combined with all of the animals that don't ever make it to slaughter. And so this is uh, also referred to colloquially as dead stock. So basically if an animal dies in transit due to dehydration, suffocation, um, if an animal dies before it is slaughtered, then it cannot be sold for human consumption. And so all of this meat uh, that is both yet yeah, the, the meat that humans don't want to eat or the parts that humans don't want to eat, as well as this otherwise unsellable meat, all of this then goes to, to uh, towards the pet food industry. Um, and so the argument can be made, well, you know, what would happen with all of this meat otherwise? Uh, so therefore, it's sustainable, sustainable practice. The flip side of that is to say, okay, um, you know, in if we think about just in terms of the numbers, um, you know, pet food uses um, 
close to 2 million tons of meat uh, per year. And so if all of that meat was not, uh, was not sold to pet food, um, you can imagine that this would massively undermine the margins in the animal agriculture industry, because um, this is a, this is a lot of meat that is being sold. And without that, uh, the economics of the industry as we know it could simply not exist. So one argument that, you know, the pet food manufacturers might make is that, oh, this is a sustainable industry. The other side of the, the argument is, well, actually, it's the pet food industry that's supporting the animal agriculture industry because financially there isn't an opportunity to have uh, a um, industrial animal agriculture as we know it without having uh, this outlet that is pet food. Right. Well, and I, I always hear a lot of chatter too about how, um, you know, I, I'm very particular about ingredients um, and I, I try not to buy or I don't buy any products that have meal in them. So mm-hmm. beef meal or chicken meal or something, because it is this like mystery concoction. <laughs> um, and that's kind of sounds like a little bit of what you're sort of referring to a little bit, or that's on like maybe the periphery of this industry is, you know, they're paying them for stuff that is not usable in any other way or not desirable in any other way. Um, and so it is sort of a little cycle going on that, um, yeah. Well, yeah, meal is basically, um, meal is a, it's a, uh, it's a dehydrated. So meal is actually largely, it's a concentrated source of protein. So, um, so other nutrients that are otherwise found in meat, um, water, this is, this is missing. And so meal is mostly just a concentrated, uh, source of the protein. So it's almost like a protein powder in terms of how it's delivered. Um, so that's the meal. The other, so if we just say chicken, like without, you know, or without the meal, um, in terms of, in terms of where that chicken came from though, it doesn't differ from where the meal came from. Um, so it's still the same source of an animal. It's just that, that the, the tissue was n- it was not subjected to say, for example, uh, you know, moisture elimination and, Mm. um, and concentration of the protein, but the source of the ingredients are ultimately the same. So virtually all pet food, unless you're specifically buying, uh, pet food that comes from it's, it's guarantees that it is human grade grass fed, whatever, um, you are, you are, most likely buying, um, you're buying what is referred to as rendered, um, a rendered animal carcass. And so, and this would just be a combination of, um, sometimes species are, um, it's, it's a bit murky. The waters are a bit murky in terms of how all of this happens, but uh, at these rendering facilities, what I can tell you is that, um, Typically, so with these referred to as fallen animals or dead stock animals, um, as well as the the byproducts. So all of this meat, uh, before it is sterilized, it of course it's just the the animals are there's they're in environments that are very, very um that are heavily contaminated, right? Because animals grow, they live in essentially their own manure. So it's laden with bacteria, pathogenic bacteria. So before that meat can be manu- used for manufacture, it goes to this 
place called a rendering facility that subjects all of this carcass and byproducts to very, very high temperatures and pressures in order to sterilize the meat. Because as I say, uh, at this point, it's just teeming with listeria, E. coli, salmonella, et cetera. So this very, very high pressures and temperatures, they sterilize the meat in that, yeah, they kill the bacteria by and large, not all of it, um, but most of it. And, um, but in the process, it actually also depletes a lot of the, the nutrients that would otherwise be found in meat. So a lot of the nutrition is lost and which is also why manufacturers have to add back what is referred to as a premix. And that's the blend of vitamins and minerals that are essential for cats and dogs. Uh, and that's what you see. That's why pet food has a long list, a long ingredient list. It's because the premix is long. Um, and so all of these nutrients that were otherwise found in meat have to be added back because they're lost during the decontamination process. So, um, so yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting industry. It's complicated, but it's the challenge complicated. We, I'm learning yeah. so much. I feel like my mind is blown right now. The challenge though, you know, if you think about, okay, if you wanted to just support, okay, you know, human grade, um, and you, you don't, you don't want to purchase anything that could otherwise come, have come from a rendering facility. This is, um, that now you are immediately at odds or you're actually, um, um, yes, it might have been better in terms of welfare for the animal that had been slaughtered, um, but it is also at odds with the environmental piece because, of course, the more um, the more humane an animal is treated, right, the more area it has to live, um, the better it is cared for, the larger environmental footprint it has. It is just necessarily the case. So you start to choose between, you know, either you have a lower environmental footprint and you purchase rendered meat, which comes with some dubious, sometimes, you know, there's some dubious qualities associated with it because there could be contaminants, either bacterial or chemical, um, or you err on the side of, or you opt for the, um, say, human grade or grass-fed meat, but now you are in direct competition with the human supply, food chip supply chain. And this is absolutely, you know, more harmful environmentally. So you're really sort of like, to, to just speak frankly, you're really kind of screwed. Um, if you're buying meat from an animal, from a slaughtered animal, uh, you're, it's, there's a cost, um, regardless of what that, where that meat comes from. Yeah. So fascinating. Well, and, and what a wonderful argument for, <laughs> for using cultured meat products. Um, <laughs> so is BioCraft your company, um, are you in the business of making pet food or are you in the business of providing cultured meat to pet food companies? The latter. So we are uh, we are an ingredient company. Um, we are making. So our focus is as a as a mission based comp company, which is you know whose mission is to replace as much um, as much slaughtered animal meat with cultured meat. Um, we're focusing we're focused on volumes, and so we are focusing as an ingredient supplier on uh, partnering with. As, as many um, pet food manufacturers as possible um, and uh, and to work with them in disseminating this product as, as widely as possible. Yeah. Um, in those partnerships, do you see that a big component of it is going to be consumer education or um, do you think that people will adapt to this with no objections? 
Oh, I think it will be a mixed bag for sure. Um, certainly, you know, there will be uh, there will be folks who we, we've already heard that certain, um, yeah, there are certain categories or certain uh, demographics uh, of, of people who are who are very very keen to to try this or to have their their dogs and cats try it, and then there are others who are much less so. So um, I think it will be absolutely, yeah, a combination, but this is also why we're very keen to partner with pet food companies that, um, especially, you know, the large ones who already, I mean, frankly, you know, they, they do such a, such a good job with um, education and, um, and basically it's, it's all about, and I, I don't say this, I don't intend for this to sound, um, to come across negatively, really about the story. Right. And so telling a story in a way that people understand, um, and in a way that's very approachable and this is marketing. And so working with companies that know, know how to market, uh, new ingredients because pet food as an industry especially as you know we're just discussing this today there are a lot of unsavory elements to the pet food industry nonetheless uh the pet food industry has done a has done an excellent job in being able to really sell it in a way that's that's quite palatable to people yeah so if we could harness um some of that compelling marketing <laughs> for good um then that would be really wonderful yeah yeah um so I mean, we're really working on, you know, our, our, our objective is to really work, um, yeah, to build sort of these partnerships and to work together to, uh, to create this, yeah, this new, this, these new products that have, um, that have the advantages of, of both being environmentally sustainable, um, and, and humane, humanely sourced, um, and have a, have a better nutritional profile for their pets. Yes. Yeah. The nutritional profile. That's so appealing. Um, mm-hmm. the, the other question that I was thinking about too, is the cost. So, mm-hmm. um, how does it compare to, um, to, um, typical meat products? Yeah, this is a good question too, because, um, I mean, cultured meat for folks who have been sort of following the, um, following what's going on in the human food sphere, cultured meat is still, uh, it's still quite an expensive ingredient. Um, for us, though, fortunately, because as, as we discussed, because we are not focusing on or interested in um, creating that three-dimensional, that three-dimensionality, uh, it becomes much cheaper for us and uh, much faster and much easier for us. So we are certainly pushing towards achieving a price point that is um, that is very, very competitive with current uh, with 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 current products, um, because otherwise otherwise we can't fulfill our mission. Um, so we are certainly getting towards that. Yeah, I mean, pet food. Some pet food has just gotten so expensive, and the prices are going up and up and up. So, um, I I would imagine that you might even be able to uh, have lower costs than than some of like the quote unquote like novel proteins that um, companies are coming out with. Definitely for, for the, certainly the novel proteins, um, because the supply chain with those, um, it's very, very volatile. So manufacturers themselves pay a premium for those novel ingredients, um, uh, because they can't, they can't source them in any way that's very, very stable. And even conventional meat, they can't, they have a hard time uh, sourcing in a way that's stable. So, um, you know, we're not there yet, but at some point there will be an inflection point where cultured meat, um, can or does become cheaper than the cost of um, of conventional meat. 
Yeah, absolutely. Just keep innovating. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, um, Dr. Falconer, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show and I've learned so much. Um, I'm really excited to share this conversation and I hope a lot of pet parents and petpreneurs listen because this was just, I learned so much. Um, So where can people go to learn more about BioCraft and what you do? Yeah, they can check out our website, biocraftpet.com and our our social handles, um, which are still, you know, Biocraft Pet. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. Thanks again for your time and for sharing all this expertise with us. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Some of the best conversations happen after the episode. Send me a note on Instagram at wherewagrepeat or find even more women petpreneurs to connect with in our private Facebook group called Wear Wag Repeat Labs. If you want to dig into more episodes, resources to grow your business, or find a link to something we discussed, it is all right there for you at wherewagrepeat.com. I'll see you back here next Wednesday for a fresh conversation.